Coach Your Brains Out is supported by our wonderful patrons at patreon.com slash coachyourbrainsout. New patrons include Brett Massetti, Cade Smith, Nick Enriquez, Stower, Brian Spanett, Jason Mansfield, and John Reber. Thanks to everyone who supports the show. Welcome to Coach Your Brains Out, the show that explores learning from the top minds in volleyball and beyond. With your hosts, John Mayer, Billy Allen, Andrew Fuller, and Nils Nielsen. Uh, we got some some really sad news about Ken Revisa passing, um, I think it was last week. He um, was 70 years old and um, found out about it and was, was really just, just, yeah, I guess sad to hear it. Um, he was someone who I had really dreamed of and hoped to get him on the, on the show. Uh, we had, we had talked about it actually a couple of times and he was going to do it and we were trying to figure out kind of dates and unfortunately we, we didn't make it happen. And it's a big regret I have. And, um, so I just wanted to kind of pay tribute to Ken and spend some time talking about his effect on me and the books he's written. And I know he's had a huge effect on so many athletes from so many different sports and that he'll continue to have this, uh, influence on uh, coaches and players uh, from from of all ages. So, yeah, I hope we can just, you know, do a little tribute to him and, and talk about his ideas and the things he's done done for me, and uh, we'll go from there. All right, and the book's called Heads of Baseball. Um, and, guys, I have a confession. Despite doing a coaching podcast and playing professional sports, I'm not a huge fan of a lot of these books on mental training. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like... A lot of them say the same things. Maybe it could be summarized in a page. And uh, sometimes I'm turned off by some of the, I don't know, emotional or spiritual talk. But uh, I love this book. I thought it was right away. It was to the point. It was practical. There weren't a lot of parables about goat herding in the mountains uh, or meditating. <laughs> and uh, I feel like right away I read the book. And like the next day of practice, I was ready to apply some of the techniques. Um, and John, I know you've had the book for a while. Yeah, well, there is that one goat herding chapter that has kind of hit home, but yeah, no. It's more uh, a footnote. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, I, I actually first got introduced to the book, I think it was in 2012. It was the first edition, just heads up baseball. And yeah, the same thing. It's like you, you read three pages and the next day you're using these practical tips that, that Ken had laid out uh, right in your practice. And I think that's really rare. Yeah, a, a lot of the sports psych can be kind of messy and kind of unclear how this is actually going to help me perform better. But, you know, I think that's what makes Ken really special is he understands the science. He's done the research. He understands what high performance looks like, but he's able to uh, present it and write about it in a way that's entertaining and insightful and really practical. And I think that's really hard to do. And that's what makes this book really special. And Andrew, could you see any, I know it's about baseball, but could you see any parallels for volleyball? Yeah, it's awesome. I, and I feel so fortunate that I got to meet Ken um, also in about 2012, John, right around the same time you did. Um, and just such a warm, loving person, <laughs> like even if you barely knew him or, you know, within five minutes, you could tell he really cared about you as a human being. And I think that comes through um, within this book. I really like how it 
talks to not only athletes, but coaches. And at the end of every chapter, there's a little coaches box that um, summarizes kind of how to apply that chapter within the the coaching sense. Um, and I feel like a lot of sports psych books are kind of like one way or the other or, or somewhere in, in between, but this one really attacks both. Nice. And John, can you just maybe uh, give us a little bit of what Heads Up Baseball is about? Like what does playing Heads Up Baseball mean? I think you could substitute really any sport in for baseball. It could be, and for us, it could be heads up volleyball, but I think it could be any, anybody trying to perform a uh, task. So I think what it boils down to is being really present. And I think Ken would say it's playing one pitch or one play at a time, which, which is a really like simple idea. And most people know that, okay, yeah, I want to be present. I want to go one pitch at a time, one play at a time, but it's super hard to do. And uh, I think, recognizing that it's hard to do is playing heads up baseball you're acknowledging that the mental game's hard that i need some tools to be present so i'm going to work the practice the process i'm going to practice the mental game so i think it's it's uh yeah it's understanding i want to play one pitch at a time and then doing the work to get to that point they talk a lot about competing and we'll get to that and i just think one uh sentence their theme they kind of uh, put throughout the book was just heads of baseball is giving 100% of what you've got to win the next pitch. And that can be, you know, the next serve that could be, you know, the next, whatever side out for us. Um, and that just was the kind of theme that was going throughout. And a lot of the tools that they give is to kind of get you there, able to focus on that next, the next play and uh, kind of where you're at. They talk about um, the acronym acronym ramp, which stands for responsibility awareness, mission, prepare, and compete. And I thought we'd just kind of go through that kind of one by one. And then if you guys had anything else that jumped out at you, uh, you know, from the book, we can throw that in. But um, yeah, uh, what, do you, what do you guys think are, what are we responsible for as athletes or Andrew coaching? What are your athletes responsible for? Um, what they can control. Um, so, you know, the the attitude that they're bringing on a daily basis and the effort, I think are two big things. Um, John, what you got, what do you have after that? Uh, well, yeah, I think it's the controllables. Um, I think, yeah, the sort of teammate you are, uh, the way that you prepared, I think that, you know, you take responsibility in the way you, you trained, how hard you worked in practice, how ready are you to be your best self when competition comes around. And that's not just the physical side of it, but obviously, uh, for tonight, the, the mental side of it. So taking that responsibility and putting in the work to to put yourself in the best spot to give 100% of what you got in, in this moment. And I love that line. And like you said, Billy, it's throughout this book. And uh, I think if anybody's played a sport, they know, and especially our sport in, in beach volleyball, where you play over a long period of time, there's going to be times where you're really tired or you're sore or something doesn't feel great or someone's heckling you or it's all sorts of things are going on, but no matter where you're at physically, you know if you're a heads-up player, you can bring 100% of what you have in that moment. And maybe it's 60% of your your best self, but you're going to bring all of that to each play. Yeah, and they list uh, some of those uncontrollables that maybe you know us as players can get uh, you know can kind of miss by focusing on the wrong things and like stuff like. You know, the weather, the conditions, maybe your opponents, what your coaches think, fans, your parents, like, or even just, you know, getting aces, you know, getting digs, that kind of stuff. And a lot of that is outside of our control. And I like the, I think one of the 
things they had was like a, a visual of all these things circling a guy's head. And then the other one was just clear and kind of inside the bubble are those few things you can focus on your focus, your attitude, your effort, etc., And just kind of dismissing the rest of it and just uh, letting it go and playing. I think the only thing in that guy's head was the ball. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love throughout the book. There's great illustrations like that, that, um, yeah, kind of explain the concepts. And I th- I've had a couple medium practices, I'd say, over the last couple weeks. And uh, one of the quotes that stood out to me was um, kind of a athlete's responsibility in practice. And like, maybe you don't like what your coach has planned that day, um, but instead of like whining and complaining or wasting it, it's just like embrace whatever adversity you have, whether that's coming from, you know, some, some tension with teammates or from maybe not liking a certain drill. But just, uh, you know, choosing to get the most out of practice because that's what you're responsible for. And little things like, you know, if you're feeling down, you're not having a good day, like that's the perfect time to practice turning your mindset around because you're going to have that same feeling in games too. And if you haven't like touched on it in practice or made adjustments there, then it's tough to do that in the Manhattan Open. Yeah, that's right on. I like that. The second thing they had was awareness. And John, they, another graphic they had was the internal traffic light. Can you explain that? Yeah, so if you picture a stoplight, which I think everyone can, you have uh, the green light, which it means you're feeling good, you're confident, you're ready, you trust yourself, so it's just let's go play ball. Uh, then there's the yellow light. So when something throws you off your game, you feel a little nervous, you're angry, you feel rushed or tense. That's when you're in a yellow light state. And then the red light is when you really have lost control. You're uh, not not in a place to be able to uh, compete at your best place. So you want to spend some time, I think, away from the court first to think about the situations that take you away from a green light and think about how you want to respond. So I know when um, the ref makes a bad call, it, it brings out a yellow light, and I've done this in the past. I've gotten angry. I've uh, maybe come in and hit a ball as hard as I could the next play. So I'm aware of that now. So next time when I, you know, the ref makes a poor call, I'm going to respond this way. I'm going to try to do, uh, do some things to get myself uh, more towards a green light. I'm going to take a deep breath. I'm going to go pick up a line. I'm going to look at a focal point, maybe look at the antenna. Or in baseball, they look at the foul pole something to bring you back to uh, the present moment and away from that. Uh, And I think like Billy was just saying, you're looking in practice for opportunities to practice these tactics. So in practice, there's going to be times where maybe um, if if coach is refing, he's going to make a bad call or a teammate on the other side tackling you or you're just struggling. So you can look at that as like a, yeah, it's a, a bummer of a situation and this practice sucks and whatever, I'll be better in the game. Or if you're a heads-up player, you know adversity is a gift. And this gift is, I'm thankful for it. It's this chance for me to work on my mental game. And now I'm going to be more prepared for these moments. Uh, I think we all we all know that, I think anybody who's competed knows that you're going to go through all of these stages, this red light, yellow light, and green light. And But the people who are prepared, they're going to put in the work uh, in practice and in competition so they, they know how to battle against it. I think the last part is just that you debrief. So after tournaments, after matches, you spend some time thinking about how you responded when you had a green light, which usually you just aren't thinking at all. You're just competing, you're playing. And, but more importantly, when you have the yellow or red light, you're uh, really uh, 
reflecting on it and thinking how you responded and maybe it was real good and you want to keep doing that or maybe it wasn't and you want to make some changes. And John, have you had any moments in tournaments or practices where you've kind of gone through this, where you've said identified you were having a yellow or red light and uh, trying to switch it to green? Yeah, I have. I don't think I, I think of it like I've never like pictured on oh, in a red light moment right now. Mm-hmm. I think it's a nice concept and I think people can use that. I think, um, I, yeah, I mean, I think I do the same thing. I just don't picture that. So yeah, I've noticed when, when I'm not myself, uh, when I'm angry and frustrated, what I've tried to do is really focus on my breath. Uh, something that I learned from Ken, he, he did some sessions with me and with our team at LMU, uh, it was really spend time with your breath and he got even more specific. He, he said, um, thinking of the example, so, um, at birth, when you come out of the come out of the chute and you're born, <laughs> your first breath is an inhale. So an inhale, and that means it gives you energy. And that's how you come into this world with this this inhale. And um, so if you want energy, if you feel like you're like low, um, yeah, low energy and not feeling great, then you focus on your inhale, and that will kind of bring out energy. And then your last breath, when you when you die, you exhale. That's kind of a relaxing, yeah. So, or a relaxing breath. So maybe when you're more amped up and um, more angry, you focus on the exhale to help yourself relax and uh, be more at the space you want to be. And Andrew, have you worked uh, with your girls, or do you have any advice for them when they start to feel jittery like this in a match when things are kind of struggling on turning, oh, we- turning them around? Yeah, I mean, we do incorporate a lot of breath work, um, and we've gotten positive feedback from them about that. Uh, For people who are new to that, that can be a little bit alarming. So I think if you kind of explain the physiology of it and, and, you know, why you're doing breathing in a timeout instead of talking strategy at certain points, um, it can can be pretty cool. Um, Something that I really liked about this book is um, making sure that you're clear about your specific athletes routines and releases and um so you know if i say hey billy okay tell me about your pre-serve receive routine what does that look like for you you know is there something that you're physically doing that you have as a routine that i can be on the lookout for and then what is your release after you make a mistake like after you hit your 10th high line wide (laughs) um (laughs) Just kidding, Bill. You've never hit a highline wide in his career, maybe ten wide. Seriously, <laughs> uh, but after after that happens, what is your physical release? You know, is it um, grabbing the back line? Is it um, clearing out the sand in your service stance? Like whatever it is, and then I think as a coach, that kind of helps you have a visual of of what if someone's really going through their routines or their releases. And, um, if they aren't, and if they've strayed away from that kind of reminding them, Hey, you know, you told me that this is something that helps you. I just want to remind you that you, that you haven't been doing that or that you have, and you've been doing a good job with it. Um, and then, I mean, just to go back, John did kind of breeze through the, the techniques for going from a green light to, or going from a yellow or red back into the green, and just kind of like listing out the bullet points, recognizing when you aren't in control, using your breath, taking some time, using a release. Um, and I want to ask you guys about 
the releases or focal points that you use in your game? Yeah, I'd like to ask Billy if that's okay. I, I yeah. sort of didn't mind. I'm, I'm first curious, do you feel like you're so even keeled? Do you feel like you have red light moments? Oh, for sure. I think I've I've framed it. I felt it in the moment where you you know are sliding down into yellow to red. Um, I think I've uh, focused more on like the challenge threat. That's kind of how I would frame it. Where I feel, hey, I feel like I'm being threatened right now, and I should you know see it like a challenge. Um, yeah, I, I felt it last week or whenever we played San Francisco. We had a you know a semifinal that I played probably my worst match of the year, and uh, I just felt like I got really one dimensional. I think that's where the awareness might have come in, where, you know, hey, like identifying like, hey, I was struggling, I felt like I couldn't jump, my legs felt heavy, maybe I shouldn't just keep trying to hit angle <laughs> and and overpower the team if, if I didn't have it. And I think um, one of the things about heads up baseball, like John quoted, you know, you give 100% every time, and maybe that's, you know, only 70% of your max physically, but you give 100% of that 70%. Um, and I think... Uh, you know, playing with what you have in that moment, which might be making some more adjustments and shooting and stuff like that, I think would come from that awareness. As far as the check-in stuff, I actually took the, I think from Sean Rooney on our podcast about just going back and tapping the end line with his foot. I think I've been using that one to kind of like reset uh, myself before serve receive. I think that's that's why this is so good. And, and good to reflect on it, and I, I could do it way more. There's lots of times I've had a red light and not been aware of it. I think you want to just find like what your red light response is. I think for some people, maybe it's to check out and give up. And and but then, so if you realize that, then okay, I'm gonna I'm checking out right now. What's going on? You know, I, I must have a red light. So I'm gonna now I'm gonna start doing this. I think for me, it's more of like a, I think Ken describes it as like primal hitting or primal pitching, where you're just like, oh, now I'm gonna you know throw a fastball as hard as I can because I'm angry and not playing as well as I wanted. So I think if I develop that awareness more, I can recognize when I'm just hitting low, hard angle. Yeah. You know, I must not be thinking clearly. I must not be focused. I'm not very present uh, because I'm not making great decisions. So I, I'm probably in that red light moment. So I think it is, it can be hard to really recognize because you, yeah, you're not quite yourself. So you're not thinking clearly. So I think it's good to spend that time um, trying to figure out what your response is when you're in a yellow or red light. Yeah, and that's interesting because, John, I think like you mentioned, maybe sometimes a player's response is to check out. And maybe, so maybe it's harder to identify for a player like you that's not like you ever, no matter what the score is, like aren't trying. But maybe mm-hmm. uh, you know that red light brings itself out in a different way where you get yeah, kind of one-dimensional or tunnel vision. Yeah, yeah it could be kind of subtle where it's like, well, I, I normally hit a lot and I'm aggressive – uh, and now I'm like, well, I'm, you know, I'm not playing great. So I'm going to be really aggressive. And yeah, I think, I think it could be a really probably subtle difference if you're not paying attention to it and reflecting on it. One of the quotes that uh, somewhere in the book he was talking about, I think it's, I think it was like, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're trying harder. Um, you know, some of it we feel like, Hey, like if I'm in a slump, I just need to get, you know, hundred percent means just like full max effort and just like mm-hmm. sometimes your wheels are spinning and a lot of it is like, maybe it's more, more focus or maybe it's more, you know, something else other than just like punching the wall over and over. Yeah. This was actually something I was going to talk about when we get to competing, which I think we'll talk about soon. I think it applies now. He has it in the book. Um, basically he has like a, a horizontal line that goes 
I don't know, th- uh, the whole direction of the book. And one end of it is your low emotional state, and the other end is your high emotional state. The low, the low would be like you're a sniper, you're really calm. The high would be like you're the Incredible Hulk. And then you put an X where you know you're, you're playing your best. Like you, you think back when I've been at my best, what is my kind of state? So you put that X in the line and you kind of figure out this is the, the emotional state I want to be in as often as I can. And I, I think that can help. Where were, where were you? <laughs> uh, I think I'm closer to the probably in the middle, but closer to the maybe calm sniper than yeah. incredible Hulk. What about you? Yeah, that's kind of where I put myself actually this year talking with uh, Peter Haberl a little bit. I think I'm closer to like the middle and more fired up than I thought I was before. Uh, mm-hmm. I feel like, uh, you know, we've always been labeled pretty, uh, mute, <laughs> muted on the court, but I feel like, uh, my best matches were getting a little bit of fired up and energy going, not just total mm-hmm. sniper mode. Yeah. Andrew, do you think uh, this applies to coaching at all as far as is there any kind – I know you're not as involved in the play, but do you think there's times in practice when coaches slip into yellow light, red light, and like they need to take a breath or recenter? Yeah, for sure. That's why I try and participate in any meditation our team does just to to get some awareness and um, you know, understanding like when I'm at my optimal. Like is it being Hulk and like a raging coach or – is it kind of being like super calm guy? And I think it's somewhere in the middle of like having a calm, steady presence, but also, you know, letting your athletes know that you're fired up with them and um, you're excited about what's happening. I think it's good to talk about this with your athletes and tell them you're going through the same thing. Yeah. I've done that before. We're like, yeah, I was, <laughs> I was frustrated and I was probably not coaching as well as I could have because I, you know, this happened and that happened and I, I apologize and I'm going to work on it. I'm going to try to be, you know, more, more present, more often for you guys. And just letting them know that you're going through the, the same emotions, you know, probably at a lower state than they are, but it's still, it's challenging even on the sidelines. Yeah, that's cool. All right. And the M in ramp stands for mission, uh, which is kind of like why you play the game in the first place or more specifically, like why you play the way you do. Um, do you guys have any specific mission statements or have you found examining your why as a useful exercise? You go ahead, Andrew. Um, uh, we, this is something that we're always trying to redefine with our team, and it's not like we set it out and we do the same thing for 10 years. I think it's really just uh, something that is that we try to give our athletes ownership of. I think whenever like coaches give the mission statement to the team, it, it's a little bit harder for the players to buy in. Um, and, and I know John, you guys do a lot of really cool stuff as to like why you're doing what you're doing at LMU. Can you take us through a little bit of that? Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I think first I like the word mission better than goals. It feels like goals are kind of endpoints. I think yeah. we've talk, talked about this before and how a mission just feels like it's kind of part of your being who you are. And it's a little more journey based. Yeah. Yeah, and, and there can be missions within the mission, you know, more just for this day. My mission is to improve my platform. And then there's kind of broader, um, yeah, more journey-based missions that are, I think it's important to know as well. Um, I, I was thinking John, about can, my, John, can okay. I ask you a quick question on that? Yeah, go for it. So, um, you know, you just mentioned like today my mission is my platform. 
And in in my experience uh, with our team, kind of what we've been doing is more individual focused missions, like setting out things that that each individual wants to work on. How do you guys feel about having more of a collective group mission kind of expressed at the beginning of a practice or competition or season rather than the individualistic missions that you might have, um, you know, each player on their own? I I think it's helpful. I think, you know, that's, I think part of the role of the coach is to, to clarify, like, what's the purpose of this practice, what we're going to improve at, what we're going to be working on. And maybe just our whole program, you know, what's, what is our mission as a program? Why are we doing what we're doing? And I think being clear about that is really helpful. Then I think you really, you want, you want uh, people to feel like individuals and you want them to have their own, uh, bring their own, you know, piece to the, to the table. So I think it's good for the players to have their own, you know, individual meetings within our individual missions within that. So I think you want both. If, I don't think it's too much to do both. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, I was thinking with with my mission, uh, just when I was thinking about just for this uh, podcast, the two that came to me was to make the people around me better. Uh, I think I've enjoyed trying to do that as a coach and for sure as a as a player. I don't think I've always been the most talented player, but I've tried to make my partners better. Uh, and then the other one I took from uh, Lorraine Davies. Uh, to learn at all costs and all times. And I definitely fail at that a lot, but I, I aim to be on that mission to always be learning, even from really challenging situations. Nice. Do you have a mission, Billy? Um, so as far as like the coaching philosophy side, I remember taking the three words challenge mm-hmm. that Kessel had. I always kind of mm-hmm. said, uh, learn, compete, enjoy. Um, Mm -hmm. and I think that applies to my playing as well. Like, you know, always getting better, always learning, compete, play hard, and then just, you know, have fun and enjoy it, especially as a coach. And I want the players at the level I coach to, to definitely enjoy it. Um, I feel like one word that I kind of use a lot over the years is poise. Um, and I think I, you know, I wanted to be a level headed player, uh, when it comes to handling pressure, uh, when it comes to my partners, the refs, the opponents, just kind of, you know, always being on top of it there and not getting too flustered and you know, being a good partner and uh, not let that get to me. So that's a word I've always kind of used. As far as the, like, why you play volleyball, I feel like I've always I've always resisted that question a little bit. And I know, um, you know, from the Simon Sinek, start with the why, it's been kind of a thing going around that you should know kind of why you do what you do. Um, I don't know. I know it's tough to throw volleyball in there with – like his, you know, speech on the civil rights movement and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I feel like any answers I usually came up with were pretty cliche or self <laughs> selfish. Um, so yeah, do you guys have like a straight question on like, you know, why you play volleyball, John? Um, I, I think I do. And I, I, yeah, it's probably, I don't know. Yeah, it is a hard one to answer. And I think Ken, Ken actually would bring it up as, you know, when you're, Done. I think it's in the book too. When your career is over, what would you want people to say about you? And so I've thought about it a little bit. I think, I mean, the the first thing that jumps out is like he got the most out of what the abilities he had. Um, so I think that would be a nice thing to hear, knowing that like came into practices prepared and was always 
I'm looking to get better. And uh, I think if people thought I gave max effort all the time, I'd feel good about that. Um, and then, yeah, I think the other piece, just feeling like I um, made the people around me better. I think, I think those would be kind of the, like walking away, looking back at my career, with how well I was able to do, to do those things. What would you want people to say about you, Billy? Yeah, I think, you know, similar, like, you know, you got the most of what you had and didn't like waste any potential. And I think you just gave a hundred percent commitment to, to doing it. I think that's one thing I have had to challenge myself on, uh, with international play. I think AVPs have been bought in and, you know, avoiding other jobs and doing whatever I could to practice and, and train as much as possible. Um, but maybe I can step up the the level on commitment internationally. I, w- I don't want to look back and say I kind of was dipping my toe in when, you know, always wondered if I could have done more. Um, but that, that commitment on the AVP even took a couple of years. You yeah. were kind of, yeah, yeah, for sure. I'm a slow learner. Uh, but I think also just like why volleyball specifically, um, it was a hard question. Cause you know, like anything it's, I went to it early and I had success and that's kind of why I was doing it. But I think looking at it now, it's pretty cool to, there's very few things that I could do where I could be maybe competing as one of the best in the, in the country or the world at. Um, and just, I really like the idea of coming into practice and like trying to get a little bit better at things and making these little, you know, tweaks to fine tune my game so I can test them out against the, you know, the best players in the world. And I think that's one avenue that I can do through volleyball that I can't do in basically anything else. And so just kind of reflecting the mission, I think, um, yeah, it's, it's a unique opportunity, uh, where I'm at. And I think that's kind of why I'm still, still doing it. Yeah. Keep it going. I was thinking just how thankful I am to have been a part of volleyball, like that I found the community and all the relationships that I built. I just feel like there's so many good people involved in the sport. And I mean, our whole friend group has you know, been connected through, all our through wives. volleyball. Yeah. All our wives and just how much, you know, it's, kind of been a part in it and such a positive part of my life so we should uh treat it right and give it back to it we should uh, respect uh respect our sport i think it's pretty cool yeah I was, I was gonna say that that's my primary why like the community for sure the people like volleyball in and of itself is is interesting enough but it's really the people that who i enjoy the most and um okay not that you guys asked me, but I think like looking back, um, I would just hope to that like myself or my program can be looked at upon as something that brought people together and um, made some synergy with it. That's a good mission. And if you guys, uh, the book warns against being uh, beware of hidden missions. Uh, John, what are hidden missions? I don't remember that part. You tell me. Yeah, so it's basically usually kind of things that are outside of our control. Like, um, for instance, I find myself, my mission is to, you know, impress these, this, this coach or this scout or these fans. Um, and sometimes we get caught up in, in doing some of that where the mission isn't just this internal drive, but it's really external and, uh, you know, for other people. And I think, uh, this one made sense to me because, you know, we've talked about it in previous episodes with, with people, but like that, that fear, that comes with it is really from external sources and what other people think of you. 
And uh, a lot of those hidden missions are trying to please that, which is totally outside of mm. our, con- our control. Like no matter how <laughs> well I play at a tournament, somebody on volley talk can still think I suck <laughs> or whatever the case may be. Like, um, so just kind of like who you're pleasing. And the question, the book asks who controls whether you've proven yourself and, uh, you know, you can't, you know, if you're, if you're really trying to impress your dad or, you know, prove yourself to your parents or whatever, like that's out of your hands. Um, that's kind of just how they filter and see things. And so hidden missions, um, are kind of things that sidetrack you from just your, your core mission, which is just internal and why you do what you do. Yeah. I, yeah, that definitely hits home. I could, I'm sure I have all sorts of them that I'm not aware of, but the ones that jump out, like, yeah, I think we're always comparing, like, why is Billy finishing higher than me? I'm going to finish higher than Billy. You know? yeah. or, and the same with coaching, like, oh, coaching, I'm coaching well. Why is this team doing better than me? Why is this girl recruiting there? And those are just things outside your control that just add stress and make things less fun and <laughs> take you away from your actual mission. So yeah, that, I think that's a good thing to bring up. There's a lot of those hidden missions. Yeah, it's so funny. Like I've coached the gamut as far as levels. Like I've had you know high school teams that were just crushing everybody, and I've had teams that were embarrassed. We get killed by everybody. Um, and it's funny because in my my mission, like my how I would approach that wouldn't change. Like I'm still trying to get the kids to learn, to compete, to have fun. Um, but it, you know, you do find this different feeling of you know what other people are seeing and like oh why is this why is billy allen coaching this horrible 15 threes team <laughs> um <laughs> and yeah that's like a hidden mission where you know those expectations or what you think other people are are judging you you know factor in it's interesting. yeah and judging yourself i think you're usually the one who's mm-hmm. doing most of it um th- there's all sorts of great quotes in the throughout the book i think that's a reason for picking it up just to get all the the quotes from different baseball players or coaches. Like one that I liked was from the Vanderbilt coach. He's the baseball coach, Tim Corbin. He said, we played better in 2015 when we lost the national championship than in 2014 when we won it. It was a powerful lesson in how outcomes are beyond a team's control. Wow. So there's that. That's awesome. And then number, the P and ramp is prepare. Uh, John, just reading heads of baseball over the years, has it influenced how you prepare for matches? <laughs> yeah, for sure. I, uh, I was looking back through my journal in 2012. I, I wrote where I was writing it from. I was in Berlin in the shuttle to a game, and I was reading the book and writing down notes. So <laughs> for a long time, it's been it's uh, been an influence. I actually this year I've read it before every night before a, a tournament. I read a couple pages. Just to remind myself, because I think these are ideas that are simple, and we know what they, you know, we we know what they are and how they're going to help us. But it's easy to forget them, and there's all these hidden missions that throw us off track. And just having those reminders by you know rereading the book or um, going through it help a lot. A lot of it is just reminders of getting a good breath in and. Um, yeah. They're reminders of how you want your self-talk to be and, you know, things like that. It's, it's nothing that's going to, like, blow your mind, but it's just like, oh, yeah, that does help me. Okay, I'm going to do that tomorrow. Yeah, and Andrew, you mentioned a kind of identifying individually some of the routines your your players have, um, you know, for identifying green light moments and stuff. Do you guys have do anything pre-match as far as routines, getting them ready? 
trying to learn and get better at that. I, I think that's something that I'm really eager to improve in our program. Um, I do think that what something that we've done pretty well is keeping it light and keeping it loose uh, as a group before the game. And we don't get too heavy handed with the team. We kind of let them create their own culture. And, um, you know, especially pregame, I think they just enjoy each other's company and, and that helps calm them down. And, um, but I, I'm super stoked to, to have this book and, and find out some better ways of, of priming our team um, leading up into to competition. Yeah, and I would say that uh, practice falls under preparation um, under this, this topic of P. Um, and the book talks a lot about game-like practice and not just like performing whole skill versus part skill stuff, uh, but training the mental side versus just getting easy reps. And uh, he, the authors are talking about baseball, but you know, obviously it can apply to volleyball when they say, like much of today's practices are spent training technique and conditioning mm-hmm. um, and that you've got to practice competing under pressure if you hope to play well under pressure. And just kind of like the difference between how we train and how we all of a sudden expect athletes to turn it on and, uh, and play in games. Um, is there anything you guys do to try to practice competing under pressure? I think it's reminding, reminding them because I think it is easy to practice and go, oh, well, you know, when when the game comes, I won't do that. Or, you know, this is just practice, so it's not that big a deal. But I think reminding them that the the more seriously you take this and the, the harder you play now, the more prepared you're going to be for competition. And so let's get after it. Let's compete really hard. And then, you yeah, you want to, you know, make sure there's a score <laughs> uh, and they're in situations that are challenging. So... They feel at least some of that pressure, like like a game. It's going to be impossible to make it completely, um, completely like the game with the pressure and stresses that come. But I think you can try to get as close as possible, and then remind them to practice. You know how they want to respond to adversity, because adversity will come in practice too. And, and you want to practice these tools to help you uh, get to the present moment. Yeah, it's it's interesting how such a simple change like scoring a drill can just up the stakes and uh, get kids to kind of focus and hone in. Yeah. Yeah. The, those are just free, uh, free points you can throw out there and add, add the, the intensity to any drill for sure. And then, uh, finally we get to compete. That's the last one. Um, and it was a big focus of the book, John, you touched on it a little bit, but, uh, was there anything else about competing? Yeah. I mean, I was thinking back when I, I met with Ken and talked with him, and he actually talked about, he's like, I'm, I'm guilty of it. I'm sorry. You know, years back, I got into some of the woo-woo stuff, and I was telling people this and that and throwing them off, off track. But you know what I figured out? It's all about competing. That's all it's about. <laughs> and he would just, just really stress <laughs> that. Like, that's what it boils down to. You just got to compete. Like, everything we're doing here is so we can compete. And he defines competing as giving 100% of what you've got right now to win the next play. And... It's just a simple idea, but it's just, you know, what what tools are you going to use to help you not focus on how tired you are or how sore you are or how good the other team's playing? How are you going to get your mind and your body in the space to give 100% of what you've got to win this next play, to pass this next ball, to hit your best serve? That's, that's competing. And it doesn't mean you're winning the point. It doesn't even mean you're playing the best you've ever played. It's just you're playing the best you possibly can for this individual moment 
and then you're going to do it again and again and again. Yeah, and he has at the end, they have like 12, I don't know, maxims or kind of prioritizing what's important at the end. And one of them was uh, keep competing greater than complying. And I think he mm. he mentioned that as far as sometimes we can get too far in our own heads when we think about, you know, all these tactics or any kind of the mental side of the game or your technique and, um, you know, keep competing more than that. Like if you you know miss out on your little routine or whatever it is, like you're still letting it rip and, and competing first of all. Yeah. That's the whole deal. Um, and I like, uh, everything that he, they talk about throughout the book, um, you know, from focus, awareness, competing, they label all of them as skills and uh, talk about how we can, you know, we can learn them. We can learn how to compete. We can get better at it. Um, because some of these things I feel we, it's easy to label somebody as this player is competitive or this player is not, or some of these might come out as just natural part of your personalities. Um, but it's cool that they frame everything as a skill. Uh, yeah. I feel like that's, that's another thing I can picture him saying, like, have you been working the process? Have you been working it? What do you, you know, what'd you do in practice? Did you work the mental game? You know, it's, it's just the same thing a coach would do. Are you, you know, are you, are you working on your platform? Are you working on hitting tougher serves? Are you, it's, it's just the same exact stuff. You're, you're looking to push them to practice the mental game as much as we can. Cause as we know from decades of research from Dr. Carol Dweck, uh, skills are learned. They're not fixed. So we want to practice them and get better at them. Yeah. Like I said, he listed uh, 12 of them and stuff like, keep your process greater than your outcomes, keep the simplicity greater than complexity. There's a bunch of them. Were any uh, other ones that stood out to you guys? I feel like he's just got so many good lines. Like he, it's so the, good. Yeah, they, they're so good. I mean, the one that's not here in the 12 that I've said before is, are you that bad a player that you have to feel good to play well? And I mean, that's just, that's just it. But yeah, here, um, I love keep your learning greater than your experience. I feel like we've kind of touched on that one a lot. Uh, keep your controllables greater than your uncontrollables. Um, yeah, those those two jump out at me. What do you think, Andrew? You know, I kind of read the um, number seven, which is keep keep competing greater than complying a little bit differently than you guys. I read that more as um, I think we're all we've all seen this as coaches where you suggest something. And you get a very compliant athlete who says, okay, yeah, sure, got it. And I think it's more, I like what he said about competing versus complying because it's like you're competing to understand it. And, you know, if you say you give a piece of feedback, instead of them just being very compliant and agreeing with you, like kind of pushing back on you, like, okay, well, why? You know, I'm like competing with you to understand it on a deeper level. Mm. Um, and that's something that I, I'm always trying to, to pull out of our, our students a little bit more. Like I, I know you're a pleasant, nice person who wants to agree with me. Um, I understand the dynamic of the coach perhaps has been that way, um, for you in the past, but like, I want you to get after it with me and ask me questions and challenge me on what we're talking about so that. Um, you know, we both get a, a better understanding of whatever that skill or strategy is. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's hard to get to such an authentic space because I don't. Yeah. Think, I don't think that's something players have practiced a lot. No, no, and yeah. I, I wish that they could see um, professionals practice because I think that the people who are making it to the top of this game are 
more engaged in that in that dialogue. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I liked I liked number four as well. It kind of was, you know, the theme of the whole book was keep this pitch greater than any other, um, mm-hmm. and you know, kind of the idea that there's not like big points at the end of the game that are important mm. where the first couple aren't or, or whatever it is, big matches, small matches, like just this next serve, this next play is the, is the one that matters and uh, keep that greater than anything else. Yeah. He would, when he would speak to the team, he'd always do things like that. Like, you know, what's the most important day of the season? And be like, Oh, the conference championships or this mm-hmm. and that people would say that. right now, right now is the most important, like, you know, Practice, yeah, so just reminding people, like, I think they have it in the book, your career is now, 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 now. Like, that's that's all that you can control, and that's that's what matters. Yeah, today plus today plus today there plus today, go. that's your your career. Yeah. It definitely changes how you want to spend this current practice. Mm. Yeah, and those, I think that's where this book really comes in is, you know, maybe not the first day of practice or, or the first week. But it, I think it really helps in the middle of a season and the end of a season when, yeah, when the, the whatever the grind people would say uh, is is uh, hitting you and uh, you're tired and and maybe a little sick of volleyball and sick of the people around you, so you can really then use these tools to uh, get the most out of yourself. You can keep the pleasure greater than your pressure. There you go. <laughs> cool. Well, thanks, Ken. Did we do it? Yeah. I think we, uh, yeah, I just hope people, uh, we didn't do justice to the book and to all that, that Ken Revis has done. So I hope people will pick up a copy and um, maybe, you know, there's some videos of him on YouTube and go just learn from one of the all time greats. I think he's, considered a pioneer and a, a lot of the sports psychologists now really looked up to him and respected him. And he, I think he set the, set the standard for a lot of what we do now and will continue to do. So, uh, so thankful I got a chance to meet him and read this book and yeah, I'm glad we, I'm glad we got to talk about it and hopefully it'll inspire other people to continue to, to play and coach with these methods. I feel like it, like everyone in their life has probably gotten just a solid, warm hug. And I feel like Ken could just exude that without even giving you a hug. Like you, that, that was just an amazing vibe that that guy had. And, I agree. Uh, yeah, yeah no, I'm, I'm, I'm not a big hugger. And the first time I met with him, we talked for like an hour. And he went and grabbed a copy of the book, gave it to me, and just gave me this big bear hug i mean i'll never forget it it's just such a genuine hug it was like wow that guy is yeah such a stud yeah so good yeah i think that that definitely captures it nice and uh, i also want to add that uh tom hansen was one of the other authors uh on heads of baseball and like john said there's a 2.0 now so there's two copies if you guys find those i'm sure they're both great and i hope you guys all play some heads of volleyball this season Thank you to all our supporters on Patreon. Um, if you guys want to join the club, go to patreon.com slash coach your brains out. We really appreciate uh, anything you can do to help uh, help us do the show. It means so much. 